Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Same twins. Twinning. Are you Danny DeVito or are you Arnold Schwarzenegger in this? Oh God, I think I'm Danny DeVito. Really? I think you're more Schwarzenegger. Oh, maybe, yeah, maybe I'm more Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I think you're Schwarzenegger. You're the quiet, kind one, and I'm the dopey <laughs> little one that's, like, <laughs> a bit dodgy. Yeah, I'm down with that. <laughs> Hi, Kate. Hi, Dom. How are you going? Coming to you live from Cork Island at the moment. Oh, to be sure, to be sure. <laughs> to be sure. Oh, grand. Whose horse is that? <laughs> Whose horse is that? What are you doing? What are you doing in my f- my yard? Huey scamp. I forgot how much I absolutely adore Irish people, Irish everything. It's, it's honestly probably one of my favourite countries in the world. That's fantastic. I've never been. What a fool. Kate, they would love you here. You would be... The next Queen of Ireland, I think. Oh, I'm, I'm there. I'll put it on so my list for next that, year. Let's make that happen, shall we, folks? <laughs> <laughs> Done. Are you sure you're not the Please. Queen of Ireland? Oh, I'm trying to be. Boy, the boys <laughs> here are so gorgeous, Kate. Ooh, oh. oh, my gosh. Okay, I'm on my way. You just wait for me. <laughs> Everywhere I look, everyone's wearing grey sweatpants. Oh, it's just so good. Oh, my so God, good. stop it. That's like a feast for the eyes. Stop. <laughs> anyway, how are you doing? Yes, I am pretty well. I was, um, you know, just ruminating on my day and I'm just, yeah, I'm ready to. What was the terminology I used earlier? I've already forgotten. Blow off this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to blow off this week. So bring on the weekend and whatever that looks like. <laughs> Sounds very risque to me. Oh, yeah. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really good. I'm in Ireland. I'm on the last week of my month long trip. It's my best friend's wedding tomorrow. Well, not tomorrow. Yes. Well, it starts. The whole three day extravaganza starts tomorrow. The festival. So. I'm very excited. I've got my suit on last night. I look very James Bond. You'll be very impressed. Yes. I cannot wait for the photos. We'll be sure to share them on our shitty bricks pod <laughs> socials. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you, If you put a picture up of you in a suit, I'll put mine up of my very best weekend um, waking up on a Saturday morning outfit. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed that you're wearing clothes, Kate. That's a start. Well, well, that's the thing. We'll just we'll wait and see. <laughs> birthday suit. There you go. Yes, you in an I will. Suit. You and your You'll birthday be in a suit. suit. I'll be in my birthday suit. Oh gosh, we just got ten new requests. That's wild. <laughs> <laughs> and we lost a hundred followers. So that's weird. What a balance. <laughs> It's about quality, not quantity, Kate. Exactly. Dom, I am so excited about this episode today. You always leave us hanging. You always leave us with bloobs and blue bowls. And I want to know what's going on. But first, do we have any housekeeping? Housekeeping. We sure do, Kate. Um, Great. So this week, uh, we're going to feature from the Boopod Network, Paranormal Exposed. Ooh, stop it. This is one of our, I know, one of our like founding (laughs) members as well. And you may even remember because they did uh, a bit on the Bridgewater series for our Halloween special. Yes. But Michelle, she is the lovely host of Paranormal Exposed. And the reason why I think she's just the bomb diggity is because she's a total skeptic like me. 
Great. But she comes at all these paranormal stories that she finds in the United States and she comes at it from a very scientific, very logical, you know, skeptical but still entertaining kind of way and one of the things she always says is that she wants to be a believer which is like what I say all the time that is what you say we could definitely chop in some quotes of you saying that in many eps and I love that yeah she's just she's so entertaining it's really well produced um and I like that she comes at it from a very level head you know she really explores all the different angles so that's great this is the promo trailer doop bitty boop 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 Do you love a good ghost story, tales of the paranormal, and sightings of the unexplained? If so, the Paranormal Exposed podcast is right up your alley. Join me every Wednesday as I guide you through a new spooky episode. Listen in as I give you the spooky stories and the facts to back them up, or poke a few holes in their stories. Whether you are a skeptic or a believer, this is a great way to explore and to expose the paranormal. (laughs) Michelle, Michelle. You're such a good singer, Kate, I swear. (laughs) I do uh, like the the SNL version of singing where I just try to mimic other people's voices. (laughs) Yeah, but do you know what? If if you're not a singer, that's actually probably the best way to trick your brain into thinking you're good at it. (laughs) Exactly. Well, that is so exciting. So jump on to Paranormal Exposed um, and, yeah, listen to some another sweet pod. Part of our network. Yeah, she's across all the usual channels. So shout out to Michelle. Lovely to hear from hey, you. Hey, hey, Michelle. And Can I say as well, the- Dom? Your voice is sounding very sultry. This is a very oh. sexy pod today. I'm very <laughs> excited about it. Well, I wish that my story was more along the sexy line, but it's quite the <laughs> it's opposite. It's really not. It's so opposite. But I cannot wait because this is part two. <laughs> Yes, this is part two of The Babysitter from Hell. And I can't believe I forgot to mention it. This is very timely that we're doing a a pod about babysitters and babies and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because, Mm. folks, if you didn't know, just two days ago, um, the second baby that I helped donate to for some friends was born rather unexpectedly. Grayson... James Prince arrived with quite a bit of fanfare and drama, Kate. So I think there's okay. a bit of me in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, welcome to the world, Grayson. What a gorgeous name too. I love that. And he's so beautiful. He's yeah, shy from all the pictures I've seen. He's always got his little fists in his face and he's just like, no paps, please. No paps. I'm not looking my best, uh, yeah. but I'm sure he'll get used to that. I know his brother Chandler is a absolute lover of the camera so that is so exciting congratulations dom and congratulations to tam and amanda that's amazing and to chandler it's such a cool thing i know just the babies are taking over but the 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 point is is that we're doing a whole story about babysitter from hell number two you've all been so patient so thank you for waiting (laughs) but one of the things i love to do kate is if you're gonna do these horrible stories I get a hell of a lot of satisfaction hearing, well, what happens to these people afterwards? Like, exactly. I want to know that there's some justice in the world. It helps me sleep better at night. Yes, please. Bring it on. I'm ready. So here we go, folks. Babysitter from hell number two. two. Boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number twos. Number twos. We love some number twos. (laughs) <laughs> All right. So we remember our old friend Gertrude Benazuski. Gertie. Gertie. How you doing, right. Gert? Mother hen of the terrible nine. <laughs> Mother hen of hell. So sadly, Sylvia Likens has just passed away. And mm-hmm. Gertrude Benazuski, initially she would beat Likens's corp with a book shouting, faker, faker. She, so she didn't even believe that she died. Oh. Right, and her intention was to try and wake her up. However, 
She soon panicked and instructed Richard Hobbs, one of the boyfriends of her daughters, mm-hmm. to call the police from a nearby payphone. And when the police arrived at her address at approximately 6.30 in the evening, Gertie led the officers to Sylvia's emaciated, extensively bludgeoned and mutilated body lying upon a soiled mattress in the bedroom. Mm. Now, you may have noticed in our socials last week, I put a photo up and it shows probably maybe too graphically the mattress and and the position and everything so you know yeah. look at it at your own will folks but exactly but it's good for it. those that want to see it you know it does give you a really clear picture of what was going on which was not nice yeah, yeah. i feel very singy today i think i might just sing all my responses absolutely <laughs> i've got like the tom jonesy voice and you, you do can... Maybe we'll do a little what's performance it? later. We're really feeling our oats. I can just sense it through the screen. Yeah, what's I've got to think and say, it's not unusual to be loved by anyone. Yes. <laughs> Which is actually really poor taste for this story. I Sorry. literally was thinking that. It's like when they do the news stories and they're like, oh, thanks, Jim, for sharing that story about the sports thing and the squirrel on the, on the water skis. A corpse was found at the bottom of a river. Yeah. <laughs> and they switched the stories. Just a bit of a tone change, but I feel like our listeners, surely you're ready for that. <laughs> Do you know what? You probably need a little bit of lightheartedness with this bloody story. But um, Let's go. Yeah, I can't take comic credit for that timing of that song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, back to the story. Now, so she's led the police to to the body, but she's also handed them a letter that she had forced Sylvia to write previously by her dictation. So do you remember last episode? She was forcing Sylvia to write this letter explaining that she was being very well treated and, you know, she's running away and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's right. Now, Gertie also claimed that she had been doctoring the child for an hour or more prior to her death, having applied rubbing alcohol to Sylvia's wounds in a futile attempt at first aid before she had died. She added that Sylvia had earlier run away from her home with several teenage boys before returning to her house earlier that afternoon, bare-breasted and clutching the note. Yeah, because she'd carry that around. I'm fine. I'm away having a time with these boys and getting, you know, beaten up by them, but I've got plenty of time to write a lovely note about my uh, carer who's definitely hasn't been beating the shit out of me and not feeding me and putting me in the basement and torturing me and burning things into my chest. Yeah, mind the chains on the staircase, police officer, as you come into this basement room. (laughs) That's right. We've got an aggressive dog. Now... At the same time, while clutching a Bible, Paula Benazuski, the eldest daughter, having stated to all present in the household that Sylvia's death was meant to happen, <laughs> then glanced at in Jenny, which is Sylvia's sister, biological sister, glanced in Jenny's direction and calmly stated, if you want to live with us, Jenny, we'll treat you like our own sister. Oh, Ooh. what an offer. That truly yeah. is an offer you can't refuse. <gasps> uh, it's not unusual to say <laughs> no to anyone. Think about a dance now. <laughs> <laughs> now, as previously instructed by Gertie, Jenny recited the rehearsed version of events leading to Sylvia's death to police before whispering to the office officers, you get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. Oh, <laughs> that's a little bonus AMA. A- 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 oh, goodness. I just had a seizure. <laughs> <laughs> ASMR? Is that what it's called? Yes. Oh, gross. Okay. Now, the formal statement provided by Jenny prompted officers to arrest Gertie, Paula, Stephanie, and John Jr on suspicion of Sylvia's murder within hours of the discovery of her body. The same day, Coy Hubbard and Richard Hobbs were also arrested and charged with the same offences. The three eldest Benazuski children, plus Coy Hubbard, were placed in the custody of a nearby juvenile detention centre. 
The younger Banaszewski children and Richard Hobbs were detained at the Indianapolis Children's Guardian's home. All were held without bail pending trial. So pretty much that just says that no matter what was said, no matter what letters, no matter what rehearsals, all that kind of yeah. crap, the police officers were pretty quickly like, mm, no. There's something about this doesn't feel right. There's something about Gertie. <laughs> something about Gertie. <laughs> her hair the, was suspiciously, uh, yeah, her front, her fringe was suspiciously uh, erect. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome, folks. Yeah. Thank you for that visual joke on this, <laughs> on this audio podcast. Audio podcast. <laughs> At least we're entertained. <laughs> sex bomb, sex bomb. bomb. You're my You're sex my bomb. Sex bomb. <laughs> Golly, I hope you're, you're playing along, listeners, because I don't know what's going on either. <laughs> <laughs> and this is a really long episode, folks, so buckle Great. in. <laughs> now, initially, Gertie denied any involvement in Sylvia's death, although by October 27th, she had confessed to having known that her kids, particularly her daughter, Paula and Coy Hubbard, had physically and emotionally abused Sylvia, stating, Paula did most of the damage and Coy did a lot of the beating. So Gertie's no joke throwing her own children under the bus here. Yeah. not su- I mean, not surprising, but also a bit surprising because obviously it was the, you know, sort of foster kid that she was dishing out all this horrendous behavior to uh but yeah she did immediately she was like it was the kids yeah wow now gertie further admitted to having forced sylvia to sleep in the basement on approximately three occasions when she had wet the bed gertie became evasive when one officer stated the likely reason sylvia had become incontinent were her mental distress and injury to her kidneys and as of previously kidney infection survivor it is very very you know any damage to kidneys it's very closely linked to your bladder and urinary tract and everything it's just a nightmare so it's very obvious that it was those beatings that yeah the reason why yeah and anybody would fall fall victim to that if you if you received it so Now, lacking any remorse, Paula signed a statement admitting to having repeatedly beaten Sylvia about about the backside with her mother's police belt, once breaking her wrist on Sylvia's jaw and inflicting other acts of brutality, including pushing her down the stairs into the basement two, maybe three times, she said, and inflicting a black eye. So Paula's just straight up, you know, I'm a badass bis- bitch boss. Yeah. <laughs> Um, John Jr. admitted to having spanked Sylvia on one occasion Mm -hmm. Adding that most of the time I used my fists to abuse her He admitted to having burned Sylvia with matches on several occasions Adding that his mother had repeatedly burned the child with cigarettes Five other neighbourhood children who had participated in Sylvia's abuse they were Michael Monroe, Randy Lepper, Darlene Maguire, Judy Duke, and Anna Sisko had also been arrested by October 29th. All were charged with causing injury to person and each was subsequently released into the custody of their parents under subpoena to, a, to appear as a witness at the upcoming trial. Mm. Like, I can't even remember the list of names of oh. all these abusers. Like, it was just imagine- a party. Like, yeah, they just opened the door and went, guys, come on over after school and just beat the shit out of this poor girl. And imagine the police officers that dis- that are called in to discover this scene and it's yeah. just, what, another person? What, yeah. another- Sorry, can you repeat how many people and yeah, how long that's right. has this been going on? Yeah, and how did nobody know about it? How did nobody raise the alarm? Yeah, you would have felt sick as a cop in that area. You would have felt sick. But how, like, not even one of this long list of abusers, even yeah. though they're children, not one single person thought, oh, maybe this is Don't isn't... feel right about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really quite confusing. Mm. Okay. 
Now, the autopsy of Sylvia's body revealed that she had suffered in excess of 150 separate wounds across her entire body, in addition to being extremely, extremely emaciated at the time of her death. The wounds themselves varied in location, nature, severity, and the stage of healing. Her injuries included burns, severe bruising, and extensive muscle and nerve damage. Her vaginal cavity was almost swollen shut. Moreover, all of Sylvia's fingernails were broken backwards, and most of the external layers of skin upon the child's face, breasts, neck, and right knee had peeled or receded. In her death throes, Sylvia had evidently bitten through her lips, partially severing sections of them from her face. Holy my goodness! Yeah, picture that. I'd Actually, rather no, not. Don't. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> we take that back. It is not recommended. Please don't picture that. Do <laughs> <laughs> the official cause of Sylvia's death was listed by coroner Dr. Arthur Keeble as a subdural hematoma due to her receiving a severe blow to her right temple. Both the shock she had primarily suffered due to the severe and prolonged damage inflicted to her skin and subcutaneous tissues, plus the severe malnutrition, were listed as contributing factors to her death. Rigor mortis had fully developed at the time of the discovery of her body, indicating lichens may have been deceased for up to eight hours before she was found. Although Dr. Keeble did note Sylvia had been recently bathed, possibly after death, and that this act could have hastened the loss of body temperature and thus sped the onset of rigor mortis. The funeral service for Sylvia was conducted at the Russell and Hitch Funeral Home in Lebanon on the afternoon of October 29th. That's not Lebanon, the country. Mm. The service was officiated by Reverend Lewis Gibson, yeah, they didn't just pop her on a plane over to Lebanon. <laughs> she had such strong ties. Let's pop her over there. <laughs> yeah. Um, there were more than 100 mourners in attendance. Uh, Sylvia, Sylvia's grey casket remained open throughout the ceremony with a portrait of her taken prior to July 65 adorning her coffin. In his eulogy, Reverend Gibson stated, We all have our time of passing but we won't suffer like our little sister suffered during the last days of her life. The Reverend Gibson then strode towards Sylvie's casket before adding, she has gone to eternity. And following this service, Sylvie's casket was placed by pallbearers in a hearse and then driven to the Oak Hill Cemetery to be interred. This hearse was one of 14 vehicle procession to drive to the cemetery for Sylvie's burial and her headstone is inscribed with the words, Our Darling Daughter. Mm. Uh, okay, let's get to justice, shall we? Yes, please. Hit me with the justice. Judge Judy, let's get going. Judge <clears throat> Judith Scheindlin. Oh, what a diva. Get her in there. Now, on December 30th, 1965, the Marion County Grand Jury returned first-degree murder indictments against Gertie Benazuski and two of her three oldest children, Paula and John. Also indicted were Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard. All were charged with having repeatedly struck, beaten, kicked and otherwise inflicting a culmination of fatal injuries to Sylvia with premeditated malice, which is really important. Yep. Three weeks prior to the filing of the indictments against the five defendants, Stephanie Benazuski, the friend of Jenny and Sylvia, if you remember, yep. had been released from custody upon a writ of habeas corpus bond with her attorney successfully contending the state had insufficient evidence to support any murder or culmination of fatal injury charges against her. Stephanie waived her immunity from any potential impending prosecution while agreeing to testify against her family and any other individuals charged with abusing and murdering lichens. That's pretty badass. Like That is, yeah. She like wavered her immunity right to do all of this and is like, yeah. nah, I'm, I'm <coughs> finally doing something right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Now, at a formal pretrial hearing held on March 6, 1966, several psychiatrists testified before Judge Saul Isaac Rabb as to their conclusions regarding psychiatric evaluations they conducted upon three individuals indicted upon Sylvia's murder. Three experts testified that all three were mentally competent and to stand trial. Good. So no one's getting out of this one with no. some silly No one's going to the loony nonsense. bin. No. That's Unless not a PC to... term. I know, but no, loony, loony land, loony tunes. Oh, who doesn't love loony tunes? Yeah, you're so right. Now, the trial. The trial of Gertie, her children Paula and John, Richard Hobbs and Coy Hubbard began on April 18th, 1966. All were tried together before Judge Rabb at an Indianapolis City County building. Now, initial jury selection began on this day and continued for several days. The prosecution consisted of Leroy K. New and Marjorie Westner, who announced their intention to seek the death penalty for all five de- defendants on April 16th. Okay. Like, holy moly, that's... Yeah, that's big. <laughs> that's they were, they were swinging. They were swinging big. They bought their big bats. <laughs> big boy pants. Mm-hmm. Now, they also successfully argued before Judge Rabb that all the defendants should be tried together as they were ultimately charged with acting in concert in their collective crimes against Sylvia and that as such, if each were tried separately, neither judge nor jury could hear testimony relating to a total picture Mm -hmm. of the accumulation of offences committed. Yeah, that's a really really good strategy. Yeah, it is, because you could go... What did you specifically do? Okay, so how does that fit into the letter of the law and how much time should you get? And what did you specifically... And then it would just be a shit show that would go on forever and ever and ever in a day and likelihood of all of their sentences being less than what it can be with all of them being tried at the same time. Gosh, am I glad that I watch so much Law and Order because it just really <laughs> gives, me the, gives me the hot tip on what we need to be doing in the courts. We should have our own TV show. Dun dun. Melbourne CSI would be really funny. <laughs> we have to like have really crappy crimes that we try to solve. <laughs> Whose dog shit on this lawn? Dun dun. <laughs> why, why is it we always go back to shit? I love it. I know. I don't know. Oh, my daddy always did call me shit for brains, so maybe that's um, got something to do with it. <laughs> A little parental abuse here. My yeah, goodness. oh well, a little low-key bullying never hurt anyone, um, <laughs> you know, my therapist said, but whatever. Okay, so each prospective juror was questioned by councils for both prosecution and defence in relation to their opinions regarding capital punishment, being a just penalty for first-degree murder, and whether a mother was actually responsible for the deportment of her children. Now, jurors were expressed who expressed any opposition to the death penalty were excused from duty by Leroy New. Any who either worked with children expressed prejudice against an insanity defence or repulsion regarding the actual horrific nature of Sylvia's death were excused by defence counsels. Okay, so did they? it take them a really long time to find anyone? Because I would be pretty disgusted by that. Yeah, what's someone going to say? No, it doesn't bother me, it's all right. (laughs) It doesn't bother me. I'd love to hear the tales of this for the next six months. Exactly. Now, Gertie was defended by William Erbica. Her daughter, Paula, was defended by George Rice. Richard Hobbs was defended by James Netta. And John Jr. and Coy Hubbard were defended by Forrest Bowman. It's like five different lawyers. My goodness. Yeah. Imagine this the courtroom shit show. would have been absolutely stacked, it would have been mental. Now, the attorneys for Richard, Coy, Paula and John claimed they had been pressured into participating in Sylvia's torment, abuse and torture by Gertie. And Mm. Gertie herself pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. Shut up, Gertie. Come on, tell me that isn't the most... Such a good example of five separate lawyers all going, okay, look, this is what's going to happen. The best thing that we can do is work as a group and go... All these kids were obviously, which, you know, there's elements of truth to all this. Sure. All influenced by Gertie and we're going to linchpin it on Gertie, but we're also going to say that she's completely Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a strategy for sure. Yeah. Okay. 
testimony. One of the first witnesses to testify on behalf of the prosecution was Deputy Coroner Charles Ellis, who testified on April 29th as to the intense pain Sylvia had suffered, stating that her fingernails were broken backwards, numerous mm. deep cuts and punctures covered much of her body, and that her lips were essentially in shreds due to her having repeatedly bitten and chewed upon them. That is a strong Ellis, first witness. Yeah, like <coughs> yeah, here's the that's here it is, like here folks. it is. Yeah, she was fucked up, and here's mm. a list of the 756 ways that she was tortured. Have a have a listen to that. Mm-hmm. Ellis further testified that Sylvia had been in an acute state of shock for between two and three days prior to her death, mm-hmm. and that Sylvia may have been in too advanced a state of shock to offer much resistance to any form of subjective treatment in her final hours. Although he did emphasize that aside from the extensive swelling inside her genitalia, Sylvia's body bore no evidence of sexual molestation. Right. Mm. I, (laughs) can I just say something about shock? Mm Because it's something um, that is like a, you know, I don't know if it's a wives' tale, but like I, I had a quick Google just now, and apparently, if you are in shock, and not that mm-hmm. this would have helped, she was a little far gone for a can of Fanta, but apparently, a soft drink like a sugar can can help because obviously the adrenaline's running through your body, but sometimes it can like yeah counteract that um, allegedly. So you know, just just there's a little yeah. tip. Pop it in your pocket. Obviously, if you haven't been tortured for months, um, there's probably other things you'd be thinking of having. But apparently, yeah, having like a little, you know, uh, helps with the blood sugar levels and all that. Do you know where I learnt that from, Dominic? Google, eh? Uh, no. Well, where they got the first. I mean, yes, I learned if it was fake or not. But do you know where I learned the that from? No. Uh, West Wing. Oh, when, really? it, when the president and his daughter get shot at in the at the end of season one, yeah. um, you know they get her to get the daughter to like drink a can of soda because it helps with shock. And I was like, "Is that real? This is TV, but is that real?" And it just pops into my mind every time. Everything on the West Wing was true and real. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Okay, on May 2nd and 3rd, Jenny Likens testified against all five defendants, stating that each had repeatedly and extensively, both physically and emotionally, abused her sister, adding that Sylvia had done nothing to provoke the assaults and that there had been no truth in either the rumours that she had been falsely accused of spreading or the slurs each had made against Sylvia's character. During her testimony, Jenny stated the abuse her sister and, to a much lesser degree, she herself had endured, began approximately two weeks after they had begun to live in the Banaszewski household, Mm -hmm. and that as the abuse her sister was forced to endure escalated, Sylvia had occasionally been unable to produce tears due to her acute state of dehydration. God. Jenny burst into tears as she recalled how, just days before Sylvia died, she had said to her, Jenny, I know you don't want me to die, but I am going to die. I can tell it. First of all, this is the 60s, 66, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I really question whether it, it obviously it was essential for her to testify, and I don't yeah. know the exact details of how that was... <clears throat> facilitated but getting a child a sister of the deceased to relive all of this in such detail is just i think so damaging and traumatic for the poor jenny i yeah after everything that she's been through she has to stand up in front of a crowd and go into all this detail she's the one that's seen it all pretty much yeah Oh, I just I, th- I think Jenny's the one I feel for the most out of this whole thing. Yeah, obviously yeah. Sylvia. But... I mean Sylvia too, but yeah, no, from the sort of aftermath, certainly. Now, sections of Jenny Likens testimony were later corroborated by that of Randy Lepper, who stated he had once witnessed 
lichens crying that she had shed no actual tears. Now, Leper was also one of the accused abusers. Yeah. He also testified to having witnessed Stephanie strike Sylvia really hard after her mother had ordered her to remove her clothes in his presence. He then visibly smirked as he confessed to having himself beaten Sylvia on anywhere between 10 to 40 separate instances. Right. So don't get it twisted, folks. Just because this leper is testifying against other people doesn't necessarily mean that he's a good person doing the right thing. He's Definitely not. Ooh. He's having, yeah, good memories. I think that's the... That's the thing in this case is that it's so many people, so many involved in the abuse. Yeah. They're all just turning on each other. Type yeah. Thing. <clears throat> now, on May 10th, a Baptist minister named Roy Julian testified to having known a teenage girl was being abused in the Banaszewski household. Although he had failed to report this information to authorities as having been informed by Gertie that Sylvia had made advances for men to men for money he had believed the girl was being punishing punished for soliciting this That's is a absurd. minister oh my god don't the even same... get us started on the church no <laughs> now the same day 13 year old judy duke also testified admitting to having witnessed sylvia once during once endure salt being rubbed into her into sores upon her legs until she screamed. Ugh. Duke also testified to one occasion where she witnessed 10-year-old Shirley Banaszewski rip open Sylvia's blouse, to which Richard Hobbs had made the casual remark, everybody's having fun with Sylvia. Ugh. The following day, Gertie testified in her own defence. She denied mm, any respons- Yeah, she denied any responsibility for Sylvia's prolonged abuse, torment, and ultimate death, claiming her children and other children within her neighborhood must have committed the acts within her home, which she described as being such a madhouse. She also added that she had been too preoccupied with her own ill health and depression to control her children. Yeah, sure. I'm giving you a big. Flipping the bird, bird to you, Gertie. Double birds for you, Gertie. Now, in response to questioning relating to whether she had physically abused the, uh, the Lycan sisters, Gertie claimed that although she had started to spank, in her own words, mm-hmm. Sylvia on one occasion, she was emotionally unable to finish doing so and that and had not hit the child any further than maybe one occasion. She denied any knowledge of Sylvia having ever endured any beating, scolding, branding, or burning within her home. So she's just flat out fucking refusing. She's like, wasn't me. Two days later, Richard Hobbs testified in his own defense, describing how Gertie had called Sylvia to the kitchen on October 23rd and stated to her, you have branded my children, so now I'm going to brand you. Hobbs testified that Gertie had begun etching the insult into Sylvia's abdomen before asking him to finish the task. If you remember that from last episode. I do, yeah, yeah. Although Hobbs testified this act of branding had brought blood to the surface of Sylvia's flesh and that Lycans had begged him to stop, he remained adamant the section of branding he had inflicted had been light. Oh, that doesn't make any difference, hun. Oh. Ugh. Hobbs further testified that he had initially believed Sylvia would not be at the Banaszewski household on October 26th, as Gertie had informed him she had intended to get rid of Sylvia the day prior. He further stated after Sylvia's death he had simply returned home to watch the rest of the Lloyd Thaxton show on television. Now, when Marie Benazuski was called to the stand as a witness for the defence, she broke down and admitted that she had heated the needle which Hobbs had used to brand Sylvia's abdomen. Marie also testified as to her mother's indifference to Sylvia's evident distress in relation to the physical and mental abuse she had increasingly suffered, with her mother's full knowledge stating that on one occasion, Gertie had sat upon a chair and crocheted as she watched a neighbourhood girl named Anna Sisko attack Sylvia. Right. Marie, yeah. 
Marie added that although all five defendants had repeatedly, physically and mentally tormented Sylvia, she had most often witnessed her mother and sister committing these acts before her mother had forced Sylvia to live in the basement where the abuse had further escalated and she had ultimately died. So things are just unravelling. Yeah, definitely. The defence is falling apart. There's so many. Like I could keep going. There's like a whole other page of these accounts. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think I've got the stomach for it. So yeah. So moral of the story here, folks, is that you know there's so much inconsistency and people saying that this person did this, but no, but this person. It's all just yeah. It's all hearsay. It's all yeah. It's rather a shit show. Now. Closing arguments. <clears throat> Prosecution. Deputy Prosecutor Marjorie Wesner delivered the state's closing argument before the jury on, beh- on behalf of the prosecution. As each defendant, except Richard Hobbs, remained impassive, Wesner recounted the continuous mistreatment Sylvia had endured before her death, emphasising that at no point had Sylvia either provoked any of the defendants or received any medical care beyond occasionally having margarine rubbed into scalded sections of her body Mm. referencing specific forms and means of abuse and neglect at the defendant's hands and their collective failure to either help sylvia or deter each other from mistreating her wesner described sylvia's abuse as stomach wrenching and compared her treatment at the hands of all five defendants as being the equivalent in severity to that committed against prisoners in nazi concentration camps Mm-hmm. Mike, drop. Drop. In reference to the premeditated nature of Sylvia's death, Wesner pointed the jury's attention to the note Gertie had forced Sylvia to write on October 24th, stating that Gertie knew on that date that she was going to hold these notes until she and the rest of the defendants had completed the murder of Sylvia. Holding aloft a portrait of Sylvia taken before July 1965, Wesner added, I wish she were here today with eyes as in the picture, full of hope and anticipation. Talk about poetic lore. Yeah, that's right. Now, what did the defence have to say? Now, I would like William... to know. Do you know? <laughs> no. Are you going to tell us? I'm going to tell you. Yes. Because this is rich. Now, William Erbaker was the first defence attorney to deliver his closing argument before the jury. He attempted to portray his client as being insane and thus unable to appreciate the severity or criminality of her actions, stating, I condemn her for being a murderess. That's what I do, but I say she's not responsible because she's not all here. Erbaker then tapped his his head to emphasise his reference to her state of mind before adding, If this woman is sane, put her in the electric chair. She committed acts of degradation that you wouldn't commit on a dog. She has to be crazy or she wouldn't have permitted that. You'll have to live with your conscience the rest of your life if you send an insane woman to the electric chair. I'd be like, okay, no worries. (laughs) Yep. I'll live with that. Thanks. Holding aloft an autopsy photograph of Sylvia's of Sylvia, Erbaker instructed the jury to look at this exhibit, adding, look at the lips on that girl. How sadistic can a person get? The woman, Gertie, is stark mad. Erbaker then referred to the earlier testimony of a psychiatrist who had called into question Gertie's sanity before concluding his argument. It's quite risky doing that. Like, yeah, you know, you've had lots of people say that she is not insane that she is capable of standing trial for this and you're condemning her for everything like there's clearly no defending what she's done and there can't be they're doing all they yeah they're literally just scraping the bottom of the barrel in terms of defense yeah now all the other uh attorneys that were representing the others pretty much just pointed it all back towards Gertie, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's their strategy. If they go, well, she forced them to do all of these things and she's crackers. So, you know, it's not really their fault. But you can lead a horse to water. You can't make a drink. And, you know, like, give me a break. 
Um, obviously, Paula got probably the second most amount of heat because, well, hello, you know. Yeah, fair. You know, but all the others, it's they were immature with their children. They were misled. They were blah, 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 blah. You know, for fuck's sake. Now, the trial of the five defendants lasted 17 days before the jury retired to consider its verdict. On May 19, 1966, after deliberating for eight hours, the panel of eight men and four women found Gertie Benazuski guilty of first-degree murder, Yay. recommending a sentence of life imprisonment. Ooh, okay. Paula was found guilty of second-degree murder, and Hobbs Hubbard and John Jr. were found guilty of manslaughter. Upon hearing Judge Rabb pronounce the verdicts, Gertie and her children burst into tears and attempted to console each other as Hobbs and Hubbard remained impassive. On May 25th, Gertie and Paula were formally sentenced to life imprisonment the same day Richard Hobbs, Coy and John also received 2 to 21 years to be served in the Indiana Reformatory. I feel like that's it's not enough. It's not over. Oh, God. So, in September 1970, the Indiana Supreme Court reversed the convictions of Gertie and Paula on the basis that Judge Saul Isaac Rabb had denied repeatedly submitted motions by their defense counsel at the original trial for both a charge of venue and separate trials. This ruling further stated that the circumstances regarding the prejudicial atmosphere created during the initial trial due to extensive news media publicity surrounding the case impeded any chance of either appellant receiving a fair trial. Oh, goodness God. Here we go. Let the circus begin. Yeah. The pair were retried in 71. On this occasion, Paula opted to plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter rather than face a retrial. She was sentenced to serve a term of between two and 20 years imprisonment for her part in Sylvia's abuse and death. Despite twice unsuccessfully having attempted to escape from prison in 71, she was released in December 72. No. Stop it. Yep. Gertie... However, was again convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. I mean, that's good, but this is not good for the rest of them. Over the course of the following 14 years, Gertie became known as a model prisoner at the Indiana Women's Prison. She worked in That's a low bar. Yeah. That's a really low bar, being a model prisoner. Like, yeah, like the second word of that title. You're a prisoner. It's a freaking difficult thing to do as to be good at being a prisoner. She worked in the prison sewing shop and was known as somewhat of a den mother to younger female inmates. inmates. Of oh, course she I is. wonder why. Because she was probably thinking about like, oh, I wonder how I'd torture you if you crossed me. What a crackerjack. She became known as mum and by the time of Gertie's ultimate parole in 1985, she had changed her name to Nadine Van Fossen, a combination of her middle name and maiden name, and described herself as a devout Christian. Ugh. Now, news of Gertie's impending parole hearing created an uproar throughout Indiana, of course. Yeah, fair enough. Jenny, the sister of Sylvia and other immediate family members of Sylvia, vehemently protested against the prospect of her release. The members of two anti-crime groups also travelled to Indiana to oppose Benazuski's potential parole and to publicly support the Likens family. Members of both groups initiated a sidewalk picket campaign and over the course of two months, these groups collected over 40,000 signatures from the citizens of Indiana, including signatures obtained, obtained from outraged citizens who were too young to contem contemporarily rec recollect the case. All signatures mm -hmm. gathered demanded that Gertie remain incarcerated for the remainder of her natural life. Yes, please. Also, 40,000 signatures in the 70s. Are we talking now still 70s? 85. That's 80s now, 85. Okay, so we're in the 80s. The, the internet is not available. There's no, no GoFundMes. There's no – this is like people, you know, knocking on doors and setting up little tables outside the supermarket. Like that's – 
pretty phenomenal and it does mm-hmm. you know attest to the atrocities that this woman has committed that's impressive it is now within her parole hearing gertie stated her wish that sylvia's death could be undone although she minimized her responsibility for any of her actions stating I'm not sure what role I had in Sylvia's death because I was on drugs. I never really knew her and I take full responsibility for whatever happened to Sylvia. Oh my God. Imagine being Jenny and reading that shit in the paper. You would be like, I was there, hun. I absolutely watched everything you did. Now taking Gertie's good conduct in in prison into account, the parole board marginally voted in favour of granting her parole. She was released from prison on December 4th, 1985. Oh my God. Mm. Now following her uh, release from prison, Gertie relocated to Iowa. She never accepted full responsibility for Sylvia's prolonged torment and death, insisting that she was unable to precisely recall any of her actions in the months of Sylvia's prolonged and increasing abuse and torment within her home. She primarily blamed her actions upon the medication she had been prescribed to treat her asthma. Gertie lived (laughs) in relative obscurity. I have asthma and I haven't tortured anybody. It's not... Such a cop-out. Such a cop-out. She lived in relative obscurity in Laurel, Iowa, until her death due to lung cancer on June 16th, 1990, at the age of 61. Good riddance, Gertie. Now, regarding her death and the issues raised pertaining to her sanity at both her trials, John Dean, a former reporter of the Indianapolis Star, who had provided extensive coverage of the case, stated in 2015, I never thought she was insane. I thought she was a downtrodden, mean woman. Dean also likened the case to William Golding's novel Lord of the Flies, although he has stated Sylvia's increasing physical and emotional abuse was not a result of children gone wild. It was children doing what they were told. Amen to that. Mm Mm-hmm. Of Banaszewski's actual motive for tormenting and ultimately murdering Sylvia, attorney Forrest Bowman opinioned in 2014, she had a miserable life. What I think this was ultimately about was jealousy. Now, after her 1972 parole, Paula assumed a new identity. She worked as an aide to a school counsellor for 14 years at the Beerman Conrad Liscombe Union Whitney Community School in Conrad, Iowa. How she was allowed to work with children, I have no idea. Oh my gosh. So she changed her name to Paula Pace and concealed the truth regarding her criminal history when applying for the position. Oh yeah, I'd probably do that. She was fired in 2012 when the school discovered her true identity good imagine that you'd be so embarrassed you'd have Ashamed. to put out some kind of press release for that now paula married and had two children of her own the baby daughter to whom she had given birth while awaiting trial in 66 and who she named after her mother was a late was later adopted the murder charges initially filed against gertie Gertie's second eldest daughter, 15-year-old Stephanie, were ultimately dropped after she agreed to turn state's evidence against the other defendants. Although prosecutors did resubmit their case against Stephanie before a grand jury on May 26, 66, the decision to later prosecute her in a separate trial never materialised. Stephanie assumed a new name and became a school teacher. What? She late, yep, she later married and had several children. She was last known to have resided in Florida. Jesus. What? Oh, my God. Okay. I'm so cross. I was so yeah. thrilled with this first bit where you were like, they're going to do this at the trial. I'm like, yeah, get them. Like, lock yeah. them up. Lock them up forever. This has taken the biggest turn that I would never have expected. What I know it's a lot of detail, but no, it's but why what I'm are, like... Oh, God, yeah, but how's that for justice, inverted commas? Exactly. Now, when questioned at trial as to her motive for turning state's evidence, Stephanie stated, I'm just here in the hope I can help anybody. 
In response, her mother's attorney, William Urbecker, replied, including yourself? Talk about mm. sass. Now, shortly after their mother's arrest, the Marion County Department of Public Welfare placed Marie, Shirley and James Benazuski in the care of separate foster families. The surname of all three children was legally changed to Blake in the late 60s and their father regained their custody. Marie later married. Marie Shelton died of natural causes on June 8, 2017 at the age of 62. Dennis Lee Wright Jr. was adopted. His adoptive mother named him Denny Lee White. He died on Feb 5th, 2012 at the age of 47. Jesus. These people are not having a good run. No, they are not. Richard Hobbs, Coy Hubbard and John Banaszewski all served less than two years what? in the Indiana Reformatory before being granted parole in 1968. Were they model prisoners as well, um, working in probably. the knitting shop? Now, Richard Hobbs died of lung cancer on the 2nd of Jan 1972 at the age of 21, less than four years wow. after his release from the Indiana Reformatory. In the years between his release and his death, he's known to have suffered at least one nervous breakdown. Mm, I probably would too. Coy Hubbard remained in Indiana and never attempted to change his name. Throughout his adult life, Hubbard was repeatedly imprisoned for various criminal offences, on one occasion being charged with the 1977 murders of two young men, although largely due to the fact that the chief witness to testify at his trial had been convicted. Uh, Hubbard, who admitted to having been in his company at the time of the murders, he was acquitted of this charge. So, who knows? Shortly after the January 27, uh, 2007 premiere of the crime drama film An American Crime, which is based on this story of Sylvia, yes. Hubbard was fired from his job because it all came out. They can, Yeah, they kind of put two and two together. Mm -hmm. And he later died of a heart attack in Shelbyville, Indiana, on June 23rd at the, at, of the year at the age of 56. Oh my goodness me. Well, you know, I can imagine being involved in something like that would rot your heart. So, thank you, Corey. Yep. Now, not, we're not done yet. John Banaszewski Jr. lived in relative, relative obscurity under the alias John Blake. He became a minister, frequently hosting counselling sessions for the children of divorced parents. Great. Several decades after his relief from the Indiana Reformatory, John issued a statement in which he acknowledged the fact that he and his co-defendants should have been sentenced to a more severe term of punishment, adding that young criminals are not beyond rehabilitation and describing how he had become a productive citizen. He died of diabetes in the Lancaster General Hospital on May 19, 2005 at the age of 52. Well, there you go. Your diabetes got ya. Now, the injury to person charges brought against the other juveniles known to have actually physically, mentally, and emotionally tormented Lycans. They were Anna Ruth, Judy Darlene Duke, Michael Monroe, Darlene Maguire, Randy Gordon, Lepper, were later dropped. Cisco died at the age of 44. Um, and... Leper, the one who had visibly smirked, he testified to having hit uh, Sylvia up to 40 separate occasions. He died at the age of 56 in 2010. Good riddance, you bunch of clowns. I know. Now, Jenny, Sylvia's sister. She later married an Indianapolis native named Leonard Reese Wade. The couple had two children, although she remained traumatized by the abuse she had been forced to watch with her sister. For the remainder of her life, Jenny was dependent upon anxiety medication. She sadly died of a heart attack on June 23rd, 2004, at the age of 54. Cheers. <sighs> now, some positive news to come out of all of this, Kate. Because okay. I think we should end on a bit of a high note. Let's do it. Let's end on a high. In June 20. Uh, 2001, a six-foot-tall granite memorial was formally dedicated to Sylvia 
Sylvia's Likens, Sylvia Likens Life and Legacy in the Willard Park, Washington Street, Indianapolis. This dedication was attended by several hundred people, including members of the Likens family. The mem memorial itself is inscribed with the words, This memorial is in memory of a young child who died a tragic death. As a result, laws changed and awareness increased. This is a commitment to our children that the Indianapolis Police Department is working to make this a safe city for all our children. Good. Sylvia's death is credited with the adoption of Indiana's mandated reporter law and with an increased understanding of the investigation and recognition of abuse. The law states that should a member of the public suspect a child is suffering abuse or neglect, the citizen suspecting this abuse has a legal obligation to report the abuse to authorities. Here, here. Correct. On October 26, 2015, numerous Indianapolis citizens, including Lycan's older sister, Diana, gathered in Lebanon to honour Sylvia Lycan's and to reflect upon her life upon the 50th anniversary of her death. <sighs> and last but not least, the Sylvia Child Advocacy Center is officially dedicated to the memory of Sylvia Likens. Founded in 2010 in Lebanon, Indiana, the and initially named the Boone County Child Advocacy Center, this nonprofit organization was renamed in Sylvia's honor in 2016, with the executive director stating. The most important thing that we can do is tell kids they are hurt and we are listening. This was something no one did for young Sylvia. Her family is thankful, though it doesn't have to be that way anymore. She did not die in vain. She died a horrific death. But because of that, we are hoping that another child can be saved. Hear, hear. And that is <sighs> the rather disappointing end to Babysitter from Hell, part two. Well done, Dom. That is such a horrendous story and you told it so well. Thank you for that. Yeah, a bit dry, folks, but you know. No, but I enjoy all the law stuff. I thought it was good. It's and you want to know what happens. You know what the want to know what the wrap up was. So if you haven't gone ahead and listened to part one, definitely go and do that because you'll be <laughs> understanding why we're so outraged and why we felt the need to sing Tom Jones songs all the way through this epi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> so Kate what have yes. we got in store for next week well I have been lost lately I've been you lost in been. the snow I've been lost in the desert and next week I'm going to be lost in the wilderness <laughs> so I would love for you to join me because I'm going to tell you some cute little stories about how people survived in the wilderness <laughs> they survived in the wilderness. I've survived in the wilderness. <laughs> I want to tell my story. So I will be filling you in on that. And it's just, I just, yeah, went down a bit of a rabbit hole of people being lost in places, some surviving, some not so much. Um, but I'm on a bit of a survival run. So I might include some, you know, a bit of a mix. We'll see how we, how we feel on the day. But uh, yeah, that will be a bit of fun. I'm so excited. I'm living for this theme that you're doing at the moment. <laughs> I like a theme. It makes it easy because then when I'm writing the apps, I'm like, okay, cool. I don't have to, you know, um, yeah, find a brand new, brand new topic. But if you've got any topics you think we should cover, can you message us, listeners? Let us know. If you want us to talk about something, if there's a story you love and you would love us to put our little spin on it, um, hit us up on our socials. Shit and Bricks podcast on Instagram. We're on Facebook um, for the Boom Booms. And we are also on Twitter, but we don't tweet a lot because Twitter sucks now. So, yeah, pretty fair. That's my opinion. It's my opinion. Well, I'm cooking up quite a special surprise for our listeners and for the Boo Pod Network. Um, we may have a special guest in an upcoming episode, Kate. And I'm just going to leave it. it there. Is it Tom Is Jones? It? Yes. <laughs> yes, Tom! Oh, my no. God, so good. I can't wait but... to welcome him into our foyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where we serve half scotch fingers and tea. God, I love that foyer. It's a party out there. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> How exciting. Mm. I cannot wait. And yes, please, guys, get out there, engage with us, talk to us. We love you. And we are so looking forward to talking to you when next time we talk to you. And Dom, you travel safe and have a fun time at the wedding. I can't wait to see you in your suit. You betcha. I'll be doing my last episode from abroad in Berlin next week. Oh, Berliner. Yeah. And then I'll be, finally, I'll be back home, folks. I can't wait. Excellent. We look forward Love to it, you. Dom. Love you. Love you, listeners. And we'll talk to you very soon. <laughs> Love you. Bye bye. It's not on you to want to be loved by anyone. Oh, whoa. Whoa. I haven't got a head spin. <laughs> Sit down. <laughs> That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.